Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, report were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm excited for today. I'm excited. This is a kind of a new step in this season of preparation uh, as we are preparing to, to merge with, with Family Church at the end of this month. Um, we are figuring out what it looks like to kind of um, engage them and for them to engage us to become a family. We talked last week about the importance of not being uh, divisive, but rather for everything to kind of be unified and for us to be unified around the mission of Jesus, around the person of Jesus, that because of Jesus being better, as we just sang, it allows for everything else to, to, even though there may be differences, for them to be submissive to the most important thing. Um, which is Jesus, and that we all have that in common, and since we have the greatest thing in common, now we have a place to be able to love each other from, to care for each other from, to serve each other from, all because we've first been cared, loved, and served you know, by Jesus first. And so today, Aaron Philippone is going to come. He's going to preach to us today. Aaron is um, a part of the executive team for Family Church, and is the specifically is the campus pastor of the Gardens Campus. Now, on the 24th, uh, this month, we'll be going over there um, and attending the 11 o'clock gathering, the service over there at 11 o'clock. And then once we merge, so on August the 7th, which will be the first Sunday that we will not be gathering here, that we'll be gathering as part of Family Church, we will be attending for that next month, for the month of August, over there. So I'll be sharing some more details with you. But we thought it would be great um, for Aaron to come and to kind of introduce himself, to share a little bit about who he is, and to uh, share, most importantly, the, the word with us, and for us to, to begin to grow in affection that way. And so, would you do me a huge favor and welcome Aaron? We're so glad that he's here with us today. Thanks. All right. Well, good morning. I tell you, man, that was a sweet time of worship. You guys have an incredible church, and uh, I'm honored to be here with you today. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 24. And uh, as we get started, I want to I want to just first start off by saying um, that I love your pastor and uh, I've gotten to know Chip and Brittany over the last couple of years. And I've come to love uh, Chip. Now, when I first moved here to West Palm Beach, I'd heard Chip's name a lot and uh, heard of Discover Church. And and I knew who Chip was, but I hadn't met him yet. And I was I was visiting um, a company here in town called True Bamboo. And I went and visited this company and, uh, and, and I was there with a guy named Kevin Mahoney. Kevin's one of the pastors at our church, and he's also a business leader here in the community. And I went over to this place called True Bamboo, and I'm meeting with Kevin, and we walked outside, and uh, he, said, he said, hey, you know who that was that was just inside there that you were talking to, right? And I said, no, who is that? And he said, oh, he said, let me just tell you, that's Brittany Stallings. I mean, she, she is like one of the greatest leaders in this entire community. You have got to get to know Brittany Stallings. And I said, Stallings, Stallings, how do I know that name? I said, Kevin, is that, is, is she related to Chip Stallings? He said, yeah, Chip's a great guy. He's a church player. Forget him. Let me tell you about Brittany. Like she is unbelievable. And so I, I met Chip um, through his wife, <laughs> Brittany, and uh, we, we've just come to uh, know and love the Stallings family. And, and I love your church and I love what you guys have been doing here. Uh, and Chip loves you. He loves you deeply. And when I get together with Chip, 
uh, he, he tells me about all of you. And he doesn't just tell me, hey, let me tell you about where we meet and sound equipment and all that it takes to run portable church. He tells me about you and your lives and your families and where God's taken you. And he has a deep love for each one of you. And what's not to love? I mean, if you've been coming to this church for any amount of time, you love these people too. I mean, look, look around at all that it takes to do church on a Sunday morning, right? I, I got here uh, well after the setup crew got here, but I mean, think about just the setup team, right? Who unloads the trailer every week? Is anybody in here that actually does that? Who unloads and loads, load in and load out, right? And you guys, Jack, how long have you been doing that? Five or six years every week. Who does that? Right. I, I was driving in this morning. We live out West and, uh, I come up the turnpike and, um, I got off, uh, the turnpike there at PGA cause I had to set some things up at our campus. And, and I just saw a, a van with a trailer and I thought of you guys. And I thought about the people who at six thirty in the morning are probably unloading a trailer so that people could come together and sing about how Jesus is greater. And worship the one true and living God together. Who does that? I mean, who does that week in and week out? And I think about David and Lindsay and all that they've put into the kids ministry and the student ministry. And they're coming in and they're putting up pack and plays. And they're wiping down things with Lysol wipes. And they're making sure everything is just right. So that your kids can be taken care of. So that the Bible is preached. So that people know about Jesus. Who does that? I mean, why would people do that? I want to ask you a question. Um, as you think about these transitions going on in, in, in your local church family, as you think about family church, as you think about your own life, uh, how in the world did you get right here? Okay, how in the world did you get here? The fact that you're in a chair at this school, in this church, we're about to study the Bible together. How is it that God has brought you right here? Why in the world would you be a part of all of this? Of all the places you could be, Right? 96% of our community doesn't go to church. Okay? So 96% of Palm Beach County are not doing this this morning. But you are. Why? Why are you part of the 4%? Why are you here? What would call you to do this? I want to tell you a little bit about um, my story, my journey, and how I got to be here. Okay? Because if you knew my journey... Uh, you would never show up to listen to me. I mean, if you knew all the details of my life, you just, you just wouldn't listen to me. But there's a reason why I'm here. There's a great God who has rescued me, who's saved me, who's redeemed my life and given me an opportunity to talk about him. Uh, I grew up in a little town called Mulberry, Florida. And it's about two and a half, three hours from here. Anybody ever heard of Mulberry? Right? Hey, great. Awesome. So you know where the promised land's at. It's... Um, not far from here, just two and a half, three hours. You go up the turnpike, get off on the Yeehaw Junction, and, and you head inland, and just south of Lakeland. And I thought it was the greatest town in the world to grow up in. Uh, small town, 3,000 people. And my family, we, we weren't necessarily Christians. We didn't go to church. Uh, we, were, we were Catholic, kind of. Um, we kind of called ourselves CEO Catholics, right? Christmas and Easter only. That's really the only time we went to church. But we knew a lot about God. And, uh, and if you've ever been to central Florida, you know, it's, it's a lot more like the Bible belt. And, uh, so a lot of people were always inviting our family to church. They thought we were weird. We moved down to Mulberry from New Jersey, right? Nobody does that. We're just kind of the outcast. And so people were always inviting us to church. 
And I'll, I'll never forget, I went to church with some of my friends in high school, and I heard the gospel. And I'd heard the gospel before. I knew all about who Jesus was, right? I could tell you who his mom was. Um, I could tell you when we celebrated his birthday. Um, I even knew that he rose from the dead, because at the Catholic church, I'd seen a crucifix of him hanging there, and we celebrated the resurrection. We, we knew about Jesus, but I didn't have a relationship with Christ. I never gave my life to him. But in high school, I had some friends, they shared the gospel with me, and I put my trust and my faith in Jesus for the very first time. And ever since then, my life has been totally different. Um, the way I treated my brothers changed. I have three brothers, and uh, sometimes our home was like a WWF episode. I mean, it was just, it was wild. My dad does drywall uh, because he had to. We were always like punching holes in the wall. And uh, the way I treated my brothers changed. Um, the way I treated my parents changed. The way I treated my teachers, the way I treated my friends, the way I treated girls. Everything in my life changed when I gave my life to Christ. Mulberry, as a community, um, our school was not known for being very good at sports. Um, and so anytime you would play the Mighty Mighty Panthers, you would be sure that you'd probably win. Uh, but you could also be assured of this, that after the game, we would fight you. And that was kind of the thing we were known for. And uh, we'd bite ears and we'd poke you in the eyes and throw rocks at you. I mean, we were dirty in the way that we would fight. But that's kind of what we were known for. And when Christ came into my life, it changed everything. It changed the way that I, that I, that I lived. So I started studying God's word and, and I just couldn't get enough. In the Catholic church, I, I knew that there was a, such thing as a Bible, but I never read it. We had one. It sat on top of our TV, collected dust. It was kind of a family heirloom, but I never read it. And I started reading and it was unbelievable. And the Bible calls itself the living word because it's, it's active. It, it applies to our lives even today. So I started reading God's word and people would come to me and they'd say, Aaron, you ever thought about being a pastor? And I said, what's a pastor? <laughs> like I had no idea. And, um, and I had some friends that said, you, you ought to, you ought to go to seminary. You ought to get an education and, and be a pastor. And so I did, I moved up to Louisville, Kentucky. I was 18 years old. Um, didn't know anyone up there. And I met a guy named Jimmy Scroggins and you're going to get to meet Jimmy a little bit later today. He's going to come by and we're going to do some, some Q and a about our families coming together, our two church families. But Jimmy was my youth pastor and, uh, and he discipled me for a long time. I've known him now for 16 years and I just, I just kept trying to align my life with God's word. And now I'm not perfect. I make a lot of mistakes and, um, and it's, and it's only by God's grace that I am right here. But this is where I want to be on Sunday mornings. I want to be with the body of Christ. I want to be with the local church. The Bible says that the church will not fail. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so the reason why I'm here is because God has done a radical work in my life. I've experienced Christ in an incredible way. And I would venture to say that the reason you're here is because of something similar. Something in your life happened where Christ became more real to you. It was different than just information. It was an experience. You experienced Christ. You experienced forgiveness. You experienced a new life and a new way. Something changed in your life. And that's why you're here. And I want to show you a story in the Bible uh, where something similar happened with, with the early disciples. So if you have your Bible, let's look in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And this is a story of some guys who experienced Christ. 
These are people just like you and me. They experienced Christ in an incredible way. So this story takes place um, after the resurrection. Jesus already lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. He was buried. God raised him from the dead. He's in his resurrected body. And the disciples are having a conversation about it. And that's where we're going to pick up in, in Luke chapter 24. I want to read a little and then I want to talk and then I want to read a little and talk a little bit. Okay, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and just hold your place there. And I want you to I want you to follow along as we look at this text. Here's what it says. Luke chapter 24, verse 13, that very day, which, by the way, that's resurrection day. Okay, this is the the day that uh, Jesus was raised from the dead. It's the very first Easter. Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Okay, now pause right there. Okay, um, those days were very eventful in Jerusalem. A lot of things were happening. Okay, think about it. Jesus was just arrested. He was put in jail. Uh, They took him out and they beat him. He uh, had his beard pulled out. He went to trial, remember Herod and Pilate and all that was going on around that time. And then they sentenced him to death. He went to the cross He died of a bloody crucifixion. So lots of things that were happening there. Golgotha, the veil was torn, the sky went dark, the dead were raised, zombies are walking around. I don't really know what that's all about, but it was happening. I mean, lots of weird things were happening in these chapters of the Bible. And this isn't years after the death of Christ. This is hours, just a couple of days after Jesus had died. And they're all having a conversation about what just happened. And they knew what had happened in the city. Some of them were eyewitnesses to it. They, they saw Jesus. Okay, there are bloodstains on the ground right there in Jerusalem. So this is very fresh. It's very recent. And they're having a conversation about it. Look at verse 15. Uh, While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, picture that. Okay, here's all the disciples. They're walking on the Emmaus Road. They're having a conversation about all these things that had just happened. And then, as they're having this conversation, who joins them? Jesus. He starts walking right there with them, right? But they don't understand. They don't recognize that it's Jesus. Now, I don't understand why they didn't recognize him. I don't know if Jesus was dressed a little bit different. His resurrected body might have looked a little bit different. Maybe he had a mustache. I I don't know. Maybe he was wearing a ball cap or had an eye patch on. I don't know what it was, but Jesus looked different. And they didn't recognize that it was him. But Jesus is right there with them as they're walking on the Emmaus Road. And it's unbelievable. Listen, listen to what happens. Okay, verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Okay, Jesus hears them talking about himself. They're talking about him. And he's eavesdropping. He's listening. He's asking them questions. He's saying, hey, um, who is this Jesus guy that you're talking about? And why are you sad? Why are they sad? Okay, think about that. Why are these disciples sad? Okay, it's Resurrection Sunday, but they don't know that the resurrection has happened. They had given their entire lives to this operation. They, they'd liquidated all of their assets. They sold their businesses. Some of them were fishermen. They sold their nets. They sold their boats. They gave up their livelihood. They gave up everything. They, they gave up all of their relationships. Their family thought they were crazy. Their friends thought they were lunatics. They gave up everything, all their social status to follow Jesus. And now Jesus is dead. Operation over, operation fail. They think 
that their whole three years was a waste. And so they're sad. And Jesus walks right up to them and says, why are you sad? And they're thinking, well, of course we're sad. Don't you know what's happened? I mean, the gates of hell will not prevail, but it looks like the gates of Pilate prevailed. The gates of Herod. The gates of the Jews, it looks like they prevailed. So they're sad. Then, verse 18, look at, look at verse 18. Then, one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? I love that, right? I think Cleopas's name in like the original Greek was probably Cletus or something like that. I mean, it's, it's just funny the way he's, he's asking that question. He just sounds like some country bumpkin from Mulberry, doesn't he? He's like, you know, are you the only... Well, by golly, ain't you heard what's been going on? Like, I could just picture him saying that. And here he is back-talking Jesus. Have you not heard the things that have happened in our town? Are you nuts? Have you not heard? Where have you been? Have you been under a rock? Have you not turned on the news? Have you not followed your Twitter feed? Where have you been? I mean, how can you not know all these things that have been happening here? Verse 19. Jesus says to them, what things? You see, he's playing dumb. What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and they did not find his body. They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus calls them fools. He says, listen, guys, 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 you are eyewitnesses. You were there. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? To have been an eyewitness as these things were unfolding? I mean, this is time being split from B.C. to A.D. This is history unfolding. Wouldn't you have loved to have been an eyewitness? And Jesus says, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart. In other words, and you were eyewitnesses to the activity of God and you almost missed it. There you were, right there, seeing God do some incredible things. You were right there. In our context, it'd be like this. You were right there. You were doing load in and load out week after week after week. Don't miss it. You were serving in the kids ministry and in the student ministry and you were doing hospitality. And you were in the room when we were singing Jesus is greater. Don't miss it. You were eyewitnesses to the very activity of God and you almost missed it. Don't miss it. He gives them a, a warning saying, don't miss out on the great things that are going on in this day. Don't miss out. And he tells them to look back. And I love what Jesus does here. Look at, um, look at verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer all these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, pause right there. Think about that. Okay. Uh, where do you find the prophets in the Bible? New Testament or Old Testament? Where do you find the prophets? Old Testament, right? Okay, that's where we read all the story of, of stories of the prophets, the prophecies. Jesus is saying 
that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, verse 27, he interpreted to them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, I thought Jesus just showed up on the scene in the New Testament. Isn't that where he showed up? I mean, I thought that's when Jesus came about. I thought it was, you know, Bethlehem and the wise men and and the star and the shepherds and all that. I thought that's when Jesus came. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God, three in one, the Trinity. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the beginning, I am, I was, I always have been there. I'm God. I wasn't begotten, not made one in being with the father through him. All things are made like the apostles creed says Jesus has always existed. So he starts teaching them about himself from the Old Testament. Did you know the Old Testament teaches us about Jesus? Did you know that all the stories in the Old Testament whisper his name? They all point us to Jesus. So I don't know what stories Jesus used that day on the Emmaus road. I, I don't know. Uh, which one he started with, but we could use our sanctified imagination, right? Here we are as New Testament Christians on this side of the cross. We could use our sanctified imagination and maybe think about some of the stories he told. I wonder if he started in Genesis chapter one. I wonder if he told the story of Adam and Eve. And he talked about how he created all these things, the entire universe in six days And in his crowning moment of creation, he makes man in his image, in his likeness. Selem, Demut, the Hebrew says that we are in his image, in his likeness. I wonder if he started with that story. And then he told about how man rebelled, walked away from God. And even though God said, you can eat from any tree in the garden, any tree that you want. But don't eat of this one tree. Adam and Eve went to that tree and they ate the fruit of the tree and the curse was given on all mankind. And since that time, we've, we've had to suffer the consequences of the curse. I wonder if he told that story. When you get to Genesis chapter 3, God is giving the curse to Adam and Eve. And he's, he's kicking them out of the garden. But he doesn't just kick them out with no hope. He kicks them out with a promise. And it's found in Genesis chapter three fifteen. He says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's speaking to the serpent between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's the proto evangelium, the first mention of the gospel. It's talking about Jesus. See, God says, you're no longer welcome here in the garden, but one day I will make things right again. I'm going to roll back the curse and we're going to be in perfect communion once again. We're going to be in perfect unity once again. And let me tell you how I'm going to do it, Eve. One day there's going to be a descendant who comes through you, through your offspring. And when that descendant comes, he's going to crush the head of the devil. He's going to crush the serpent. And we're going to be united once again. It's the first mention of Christ. I wonder if Jesus told that story on the road to Emmaus. Maybe he told the story of Noah and all the animals in the ark. I love the story of Noah. And uh, many times if you go to church nurseries, You'll see Noah's Ark plastered all over the walls and little figures of the animals and the boat and everything. The story of Noah's Ark is a story of death. And when the flood waters came, they got on the boat. There was only one family on the boat. It was Noah and his family. And everybody else found themselves once mocking Noah, now crying out for help. But the door had been shut. They were clawing on the side of the boat, begging to get in. And slowly but surely, 
the waters rose and the cries ceased. And people began to drown. And all of humanity, except for one family, was lost. But there was, there was a lifeboat. There was a rescue boat that preserved mankind. The reason we're here today, the reason we have life is because of the boat, the rescue boat. And Jesus would say, I am the rescue boat. If you, if you come into this boat, you have life. But if you mock the boat, you have no life. Jesus is teaching of himself from the Old Testament. You see, every story whispers his name. I wonder if he told the story of Abraham. Remember the story of Abraham and, and his wife, Sarah? And they couldn't have children. And God came to Abraham, this pagan man. And he says, Abraham, I want you to leave your country, leave your land and go to the land that I will show you. And if you go there... I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you, Abram, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So Abram packs up his things and he starts going towards this distant land. He doesn't even know where he's going. It just says he goes to that place. It doesn't, he doesn't know where he's going, but he goes. And he's faithful. And when he's 100 years old, God gives him a son named Isaac. I have a son named Isaac. And... Um, we named him that after this story. The name Isaac literally means laughter. Laughter. You see, when Sarah had heard the story of how she would have a baby in her old age, she's 99 years old. When she heard that story, she laughed at God. And then she had that baby. Instead of laughing at God, she's laughing with God. Saying, how great are you, God, that you've delivered on your promise. And Isaac grows up, and when he's a young man, Abraham and Isaac are going up to give a sacrifice to the Lord. And there's no sacrifice to be found. And God tells Abraham, I want you to tie up your son. He is going to be my sacrifice today. And Abraham, submissive to his heavenly father, ties up his son. His son says, hey, dad, I see the wood. I see that we're going to have a burnt offering today. But where's the ram? Where's the goat? Where's the animal that we're going to sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide he ties up his son and he pulls out the dagger. And just as he's about to end his son's life, God grabs his hand and stops him. I wonder if Jesus told that story as they were on the road to Emmaus. That there was a, a man who walked up a, a hill with wood tied to his back. Very similar to the man who climbed up the hill to Golgotha with wood tied on his back. His own instrument of torture, his own instrument of death tied to his back. You, you see the symbolism? You see the picture? You see, every story whispers the name of Jesus. Let's go back to the Emmaus Road. If you have your Bible, let's look back at verse 28. All of these stories are pointing to Jesus. Here's what he says. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if they were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. For it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took some bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Now pause right there, okay? This is not the first time that they've done this together. Now up until this point, they still don't know that it's Jesus. They just think it's some random guy who's joined the conversation, who's seen the things that were happening and wanted to figure out more. They don't know it's Jesus yet. And he says, look at verse 31, uh, verse 30, go to verse 30. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. 
Okay, this is very symbolic of what he just did in the upper room. Just a few days before. Celebrating the broken bread. Celebrating the shed blood. It's very symbolic. This is not the first time that they've done this with him. And so it's very reminiscent of something that just happened a few days ago. In the upper room. In Jerusalem. And I could almost picture Jesus saying, This bread is my body, which will be, which has been broken for you. This cup, this cup represents my blood, which will be, which has been shed for you. You See, just a few days before it was, which will be. But now, just a few days later, which has been shed for you. And in that moment, in that instant, when the bread was broken, when they shared the cup, the light came on. Verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked on the road and while he opened the scriptures And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed. And he appeared to Simon. And they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. It's an incredible story. And it's a good reminder to all of us who are believers. Um, I want to give you just a couple of things we can learn from this passage. And then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Just a couple of things. Number one, believers are, believers are capable of not recognizing Jesus. Believers are capable of not recognizing Jesus. These are believers. These are people who followed him. They gave up their livelihood. They, they were following Jesus and they missed it. They were in the presence of Jesus and they didn't recognize him. How foolish they must have felt. I don't know if you've ever done this, but periodically on the news, they'll come on and say, hey, there's going to be a meteor shower tonight and uh, don't miss it. It's going to be at 2.30 in the morning and we're going to have a great meteor shower. You're going to want to see this. And we live out west, so it's kind of a little bit darker. Not You don't have the city lights and you're able to see more clearly. And so many times I'll, I'll, uh, I'll think about getting up in the middle of the night. Uh, once I even set my alarm. But you know, to this day, I've never seen a meteor shower ever. You know why? Because if you want to see a meteor shower, you have to be looking for it, right? You're not going to see one if you're not looking for it. If you're not out there actively looking for it, you're not going to see it. Uh, When I was growing up in Mulberry, my dad, for um, a short period of time, worked in the phosphate mines. uh, Huge phosphate industry over there. And uh, he he would work in this big uh, dragline crane that had a water gun. And, and his job was kind of like a video game. He would shoot the water that blasted into the rocks, and it would just explode the rocks. It was pretty cool. And periodically, from time to time, they would find these shark's teeth that were like this big. Like, I don't know if they're from megalodons or, or what. And um, anytime we, we lived on a dirt road, anytime we needed more gravel, more dirt, our street, we would all pitch in some money, and we'd get another load of gravel for our street. And, and as kids, we loved it because we would go out there, and we'd find shark's teeth in the gravel. Right, you ever found shark's teeth? I mean, in Florida, they're just everywhere. Uh, sometimes you can go out to the beach and you look around and you can find shark's teeth. My kids are, are like experts at finding shark's teeth. Um, I can never find shark's teeth. It's unbelievable. Like I've gone out there with them 
And my kids are out there, and they'll find a dozen or more. They'll find tons of shark's teeth. I've never found a shark's tooth. You, you know why? I've never looked for a shark's tooth. I, I don't take the time to even dig through the gravel or even look. But my kids find them all the time. They say that uh, up and down our coast here, that, uh, that the turtles are laying tons of eggs. Anybody ever gone out to see the turtle eggs hatch? Yeah, I never have seen the turtle eggs hatch. You know why? Because I've never gone out there, right? You have to be looking if you want to see the eggs hatch. You have to be looking if you want to see a meteor shower. You have to be looking if you want to find shark's teeth. In the same way, if you want to see Jesus, if you want to see what Christ is doing today, you have to be looking. Jesus is alive and active and he is at work. Now, I love thinking about through this church over the last six or seven years, the people that have come to Christ, the people that have given their lives to Christ, that are new believers. In fact, um, look, I, I'm, I've been a pastor for a while. I know in church work, sometimes the tide rolls in, the tide rolls out. Sometimes we have high attendance, sometimes we have low attendance. Is there anybody here in the room today that you actually came to Christ through this church? You became a believer in Christ through this church. Now, I love that, that you're right here. And I ask that question, why in the world are you here? Because you had an encounter with Christ. He saved you. Anybody here um, been baptized in this church family? You've been baptized here? Now, I love that. I love that. And I'm sure there are many, many more who've been, uh, become believers. They've been baptized through the ministry of this church. Are you looking for Jesus? Are you looking for Jesus and what he's doing and how he's actively working in the life of this church? Number two, Jesus reveals himself in the pages of scriptures. You want to find him? I'll tell you where he's found. Right here. He's found right here. Study your word. Look in the word of God. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Over the last several hundred years, people have tried to destroy the Bible. Nations have tried to kick the Bible out of their, of their country. The devil's tried to bury it. People have tried to burn it. But you and I have them right here. Access to the word of God right here in our hands. Many of us have different versions, hundreds of versions on our electronic uh, iPad or our phone or whatever. You have the Bible. You have the word of God right here with you. You want to see Jesus? Study his word. Love his church. Love the bride of Christ. I'm so excited about the way Family Church and Discover Church are going to be locking arms together for this new season of ministry. And I love that because our mission is great. And we need each other. Family church needs Discover Church, and Discover Church needs family church. We need each other, and we need to lock arms together because God has strategically placed us right here in the most lost city in America. Isn't that unbelievable? Of all the places you could be living, here you are as a Christian, an outpost of the kingdom of God, and you're living in the most unreached city in America. This is the most unreached, underserved city in the United States. Why do you think God has you here? How in the world did you get here? God has you here for a great mission. He has you here to rescue people for him. Number three, Jesus wants believers to recognize him. Jesus wants believers to recognize him. I love what the disciples said at the end of this passage. The Lord has risen indeed. Okay, the reason we're here today is because the Lord has risen indeed. The thing that changes our lives is the fact that the Lord has risen indeed. That was the one truth that they hung their hat on. That was the one thing that they held on to, that Jesus had risen from the dead. After hearing these stories, after the breaking of the bread, they knew the Lord had risen indeed. Can you say that today? Can you say that in your heart? 
Tell you what, why don't we all say that together, okay? On the count of three, why don't we just say, the Lord has risen indeed? Because we need to remind ourselves of that from time to time. Let's just say that together. One, two, three. The Lord has risen indeed. Okay, now this time we're going to say it like we mean it, okay? Like with a little bit of gusto, with some gumption, we're going to say it like we mean it. Ready? One, two, three. The Lord has risen indeed. Do you believe that? If you believe that, what else do you need? What else do you need? You've got the fact that the risen Messiah is alive and active and living inside of you. What else do you need? See, that's what Jesus wanted his followers to believe. He wanted them to recognize him, to be able to say the Lord has risen indeed. Number four, an experience with Jesus changes your life. An experience with Jesus changes your life. Just as it did for these disciples, just as it did for you and I. How in the world did we get here? You see, there's, there's a big difference between information and experience. Big difference. Uh, let, me, let me illustrate it like this. Um, how, how, many of you, how many of you, when you see, when you see this, this box right here, how many of you know what this is right here? Anybody ever seen this? Are you serious? You don't know what this is? How many of you have seen this right here? You know what this is? Okay, when you see this box... That's right. That's how you know right there. When you see that box, you know good things are about to happen, right? You know this is something good is in this box. Now, let me just, for visual sake, just remind you what we got here, okay? Would you look at that? Doesn't that look good right there? How many of you have ever had a Krispy Kreme donut? Anybody in the house ever had a Krispy Kreme donut? Yeah, almost all of you. Man, I can smell it. Man, it's unbelievable. Hey, did you know that the, uh, the Krispy Kreme donut was, uh, was invented in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. That's where the headquarters of Krispy Kreme is. In fact, if you'd like to know more information about Krispy Kreme, you can call 1-800-4-CRISPY. 1-800-4-CRISPY, and they'll, they'll tell you about all the history behind the Krispy Kreme donut and how they were, how, how they were invented. Uh, they were actually invented in 1937 by a guy named Rudolph, and he stole the recipe from the French. It's about time we got something good from the French. I like that right there. Okay, so um, so you can learn all about them now. In this box right here, I've got uh, I've got the uh, jelly filled. Anybody like the jelly filled? Yeah, just one, not not many. Yeah. Okay, we've got the uh, custard filled with chocolate on top. Anybody like those? Yeah. Okay, what about the the chocolate covered uh, cream? That's cream, not custard. You like that one? Sprinkles. Anybody like sprinkles? Yeah, you guys are always a little weird. Okay, we got the sprinkle. <laughs> so my kids love the sprinkle one. Okay, and then we got and then we got the uh, the original, the original glaze. Now this one, I know, I see that hand. Yes, sir. Okay, now, um, okay, this this one this one's not hot off the belt, but if you uh, if you're ever driving in a city that has a Krispy Kreme, and you see that the red light is on, and it says hot donuts now, right? Then you know that there are good things behind that red light and you know that you just need to stop, right? Now, I could explain the Krispy Kreme donut to you. I could give you lots of information about the Krispy Kreme donut and how it was founded and where their headquarters is at. And I could give you lots of information about the Krispy Kreme donut, but mm. Mm. See, there's a big difference between information 
and experience. Big difference, right? I'm not going to keep eating before you guys. That would just wouldn't be right. Well, I probably could. I'm just kidding. You see, the Bible says that we need to experience Christ in every area of our lives where God has placed us, where we live, work, and play. God wants us to experience Christ, that it becomes more than just information, that it becomes an experience in our lives that changes our lives forever so that we could say, Pastor Aaron, Pastor Chip, let me tell you how I got here. Let me tell you about Christ who came into my life and changed everything. I love that our churches are partnering together, that we're going to lock arms together for the cause of Christ. One of the greatest ways that we portray our unity in the body of Christ is by celebrating the Lord's Supper together. In just a minute, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And the way that we do it, we're going to set up the elements down front here. And um, and in just a minute, our, our worship team is going to come up and they're going to play some music. But let me tell you a little bit about why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. For 2,000 years, this has been an ordinance of the church. This is a way that Christians remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. This is really an ordinance that's only for Christians. And if you are a Christian, you should partake. If you're not a Christian, you shouldn't. Because this is very symbolic. It's symbolizing something that we believe in together. This is not just eating a little snack. This is a remembrance This is exactly what happened in the scriptures when they broke the bread and they drank the cup and they remembered who Jesus was, that the Lord had risen indeed. The Bible says that when we take the Lord's Supper, we shouldn't do it in an unworthy manner. And that you ought to take a few minutes and confess your sins to the Lord. Reflect on what Christ has done for you. So this is for believers in Christ, those who identify with a local church family, whether you're here at this church family or you're visiting from another church. This is for Christians to celebrate what Christ has done. The reason that we can say the Lord has risen indeed. So I want to pray for us. And while I'm praying, the worship team is going to come up. And uh, I want to encourage you to take a few moments and uh, confess your sins to the Lord. Get your heart right before you partake of, of the elements. And then when you're ready, I encourage you to come up. The elements will be right down front here. And I want you to, I want you to join us as we celebrate in taking the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. God in heaven, we're grateful for the way that we've experienced Christ in our own lives and the way that it changes our lives. And God, I'm grateful for the ordinances that you give to us to remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And God, I want to pray right now for Discover Church. God, we celebrate the lives that have been changed in this community because of this local expression of faith meeting right here. God, we think about those who have given their lives to Christ right here in this church. We think about those who've been baptized right here in this church. We think about those who've been living on mission through this church family. And God, we say, the Lord has risen indeed. And because of what Christ has done in our lives, How could we be silent? So God, I pray that you would help us to live in this community as salt and light. God, help us to be an outpost of the kingdom of God. Help us to be witnesses for you. God, in a world that is so confused right now, we turn on social media, we look at the news and we see that 
There's so much confusion. People are scared. God, I'm grateful that in times like this, you're not silent. That you have spoken truth to us through your word. And God, I pray that you would help us. Help us as we are meeting with people in this community to live for Christ. Help me, help us to point people to you and to the gospel. And now, God, as we transition and we remember the shed blood and the broken body of Christ, God, I pray that you would be magnified, you would be glorified, you would forgive us of the ways that we've departed from your design, help us to recover and pursue your design all over again today. We pray all of this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.